and you sit with her and she just gives you these glorious moments of comedy. But more than anything, this is a play that is absolutely about female rage. And when I was translating it, there's you know, so much, well, still so much going on around us. And I just thought, this is the voice that's important here. This is the voice that makes sense. This is our history. This is our legacy. Hello and welcome to This is a Classic, the Expand the Canon Theatre podcast. We're your hosts, Mary Candler, founder of Hedgepig Ensemble Theatre and curator for Expand the Canon. And me, Sky Pagan, ensemble member and curator for Expand the Canon. And we're here to introduce you to some plays by women that are classics. Expand the Canon is a program of Hedgepig Ensemble, a Brooklyn-based company that reimagines the classics, creating legacy of storytelling with gender equity at its core. We're super, super thrilled today to have a very special guest on the podcast, Catherine Boyle, to deepen our discussion on Anacado's Amor Agravio y Mujer. Welcome, Catherine. Hello, it's lovely to be with you. <laughs> yes, thank you for joining us all the way across the Atlantic. We made time zones happen and are here today together. Catherine Boyle is a professor of Latin American Cultural Studies at King's College London and the director of Out of the Wings Collective. She's also an incredible translator focusing on works of the Spanish Golden Age, particularly women writing at that time. And you already know her, you already love her from our 2020 list. She's our recommended translator of Los Empeños de la Casa or House of Desires by Sor Juana Inés de la Cruz. And she is currently working on a new translation of Amor Agravio y Mujer. Um, Catherine, how did you discover these great gems and decide to translate them? It's such a funny question because I never really know where to start without giving an incredibly long answer. Well, give it all to us. <laughs> I think the first thing is through study. As you know, I'm an academic, so I studied Latin American and Spanish culture and literature for a very long time. When I was at university, we didn't, we hardly studied any woman, which is why what you're doing is really important, what so many people have done for, for a good while now. So I, at university, I never met Sor Juana or any of these women at all. And I look back now and my amazement and anger at that actually gets stronger as the years mm. go by. But I discovered Sor Juana almost, you know, by myself through reading, through asking the questions that I've been asking, where are the, the women? You know, and the, the translation of Sor Juana started um, early 1990s. There were groups in, in London, especially the Gates Theatre, which were looking for new writing, and especially at that time, new writing in the Spanish Golden Age, Spanish theatre of mm. the 17th century. So from there, I really started looking into Sor Juana. And I did an, a first translation of it that was put on in London. And that, that was the beginning of working on Sor Juana. And by working on Sor Juana, it led me then to other women writers of that period who had been... Um, 
not present, you know. So that's really where it all comes from. And I suppose the, the fascination really is that they're great writers, you know, they're really <laughs> exciting writers. That's really fascinating. And we are seeing some attention here, but even still today, decades later, we are just not giving equal importance to these other great writers who are equally excellent and sometimes more excellent. Yeah, we're just not. We're just not. And it's... Uh, so thank you. Thank you for doing this work. <laughs> I do want to lift up outofthewings.org. You can check that out. It has been a great resource to us for Expand the Canon as we have looked for plays that we might want to consider for our list. So it's an incredible thing that you have been a part of. Thank you for that work. In talking about like adapting these plays for a modern audience, one thing that you know, struck me and I think struck all of us so much in reading your translations is the preservation of the humor in these plays and how funny they are, how clever they are. And I just wondered if you could speak to your process in preserving that humor and those comic relief in these plays. Yeah, I think the first thing in this and the first thing in any translation, I think, is trust, you know, trusting that there's a lot to be found in the plays. Mm. You know, you don't know what you're going to find, obviously, when you start a translation. And even though you might know a play very well uh, before you start the translation, you, you just don't know what you're going to find when you really start the work of really digging into the meaning. Um, in terms of, of the comedy, of the humour, the trust is absolutely uh, central. And... I think I get to it by not consciously going after it, if that makes sense. And I get to it by working with the action of the play. So my translation process is always working with the action of the play. So when I'm translating um, Balor Agravio Mujer, read it so often and went through it because it's an incredibly complex play in terms of the the way she plays around with the mm-hmm. whole form. And I read it so often um, and I started translating and then, uh, you know, I, I sort of stopped and I went, went back to the process of actioning and, and uniting it. It takes a long time, but I've spent a long time going through every single speech, every single exchange and thinking of what the action of the character was. You know, in a in a rehearsal process or any process, you would do that as a group. But I just did it because I, I really wanted to find out what it was that was that the words were doing at any one time. And it's through that that I really got to understand the the shifts of of the action, the shifts of the characters. I got to understand when they were playing off uh, language, uh, each other's language. Uh, when they might be undermining each other, when they might be really pushing some point or creating friction. And then you also understand what parts of the play are intended to be humorous, you know, the sort of comic interludes, because all of them are underpinned by darkness, by an antagonism to the to the humour. So that's the way I work. So it's really trusting that the language is going to provide for me the understanding of what the words are doing and therefore the understanding of the action, which is what I then want to pass on to the to the actors. Yeah, so mm. when you approach a translation for the theatre, have you always been working directly with a theatre company to do that? No, not always. When I'm doing a translation, that first part is, is me working with the 
with the text. And then I do work with, with actors and, you know, so, so that second part when I work from the rehearsal script, yeah, is always with actors. It's always with a director. And it's a lot of that is about testing my reading. It'll be testing intuition sometimes, understanding, obviously. But in a play like Anacaro or these plays by Anacaro or Juana, you're, you're really testing the actor's ability to follow all the different entanglements, etc., and still make some sense of them in order for the actor to do their work. That feels really important to me. Well, it makes total sense why your translations are so actable and active. <laughs> you you set it up for success there. I love that. Well, you set it up so that you, you hope that it be success. You know, one of the things that is so important and so glorious about theatre translation is that you're not alone. I mean, when I started the Sorwana, when I was asked to do the Sorwana for the Royal Shakespeare Company, my first reaction was no. Mm. I can't do this. And it was because when you admire the writing so much, somebody who for me is one of the most remarkable female brains and writers and thinkers ever, which seems really mm. hyperbolic, but Sorwana is for me. Um, and then you're thinking, gosh, you know, I'm doing this, I'm translating this woman. And then for the Royal Shakespeare Company, so you're in the midst of this thing thinking no I can't do this I'm not going to do it so no and what convinced me to do it was you know I wasn't going to be by myself that you know you, you are a team as part of the theatre you ensemble you're offering one part of the whole experience not obviously a major part of the whole experience but I don't know there's some there's a point where it becomes uh, almost invisible in the best sense of the words very physically the actors aren't holding it anymore you know you're not seeing it you're hearing it it's becoming embodied and it's becoming you know physicalized and made into lights and sound and and all the rest of it so where the script is becoming you know just another element and I think that's where the beauty of theatre translation is actually mm. and just like every other element of a theatre production isn't going to become invisible and not be there you know it's there it's it's doing its work but but it's doing it you hope in a good production as part of a coherent whole yeah I love that team sport aspect of it and especially you know for folks that may be accustomed to translating in a more academic environment which might be more solo work that feeling of having support to move into this next realm, like if you aspire to translate for the theater, you don't have to do it alone. We can really work together and it's the most kind of collaborative art form there is. So let that be kind of a, the call to action for translators to be bold and to take on theater classics and to connect with local theaters to do that. Maybe you'll be so lucky that the RSC <laughs> will call you up. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. You never know. You never know. So I think translation is often a bit misunderstood, especially in the theater world. I'm curious if you have found that to be true, that an audience or a director, a theater team puts you in a little box somewhere, but you really want to be seen in a different way. I'm just curious how you feel like a translator is perceived to a theatrical team and to an audience. We're really working hard here with Out of the Wings to do that. So Out of the Wings started just after the Royal Shakespeare 
company, Golden Age Season. And, and as a result of that, in many ways, so it was with a colleague from Queen's University Belfast, David Johnson, who is a prize-winning translator of gold, Spanish Golden Age Theatre, amongst other things. Jonathan Thacker from Oxford, who is an expert in Spanish Golden Age Theatre. And we'd all worked in this, the Royal Shakespeare Company season. And so Out of the Wings came out of that. And Out of the Wings, uh, when we started in 2008, our goal was to provide the space and the environment for new translations. So Out of the Wings wanted to really create an environment where Spanish language theatre was going to be known and understood and where the role of the translator as you know, in a multiple way as academic, as performer, as director was going to be understood and valorised because you're absolutely right. The role of the translator was really undervalued. Um, mm. and, and the role of a, an academic translator was, and, and sometimes for good reason, you know, undervalued and not uh, recognised at all. So you had so-called literal translation for very little money and then hands over to the great playwright to do the translation and putting air quotes around all of this, you know, and it would be their name that would appear in the publicity and the person who'd done the literal translation was sort of completely made mm. invisible, you know, and that actually was the way that the Royal Shakespeare Company started to work with these plays. We had academics, you know, it was the three of us, David, Jonathan and I, and our role in the first instance was to advise on the plays, to give them information, to suggest plays, to do, to get to the plays that they chose, and also to either provide literal translations or get people to provide literal translations. And in the end, it didn't work. So David Johnson and I ended up doing these two um, translations. This is a, another story for another time, perhaps. <laughs> the key thing here is that through working with the Rochewitz Shakespeare Company, uh, we created a space where the translator really was valorised yes. and we worked hard at that and we created a space where the translator where we were in the room with the groups where we were involved um, from the very beginning through to the end and that actually gave us the impetus to to apply for academic money research mm. money to to start out of the wings and we've done a huge amount of work over all these years and now with the Out of the Wings Collective to have the translator valorised and in the room and really to stop the process of literal to, inverted commas, great writer. You know, mm -hmm. When I say it, I mean, I think there's space for all sorts of ways of, of translating, but I think what has to happen is that every person that's part of that process has to be recognised for the work that they've done in it. And I think we're in ways, in many ways, we're beginning to make um, headway there. It's very encouraging. Yes. It's shocking to me. It's shocking to me that any name would get left off on any part of that process. But it's also deeply not shocking. <laughs> there are. Well, that, that's precisely it. In terms of, I mean, you've spoken to this a little bit of, about like your process working with the RSC and things like that and how you know, hopefully this sea change of recognizing the work that translators like you have done and are doing um, is coming. But uh, in the effort of creating a little bit more impetus there, I wondered if you had any advice that you would give to directors, artistic directors, producers who might be looking to commission a new translation or work with a translator on a new piece and how you would hope they would approach working with folks like you doing that work. Yeah, I mean, I think for me that a key thing here is networks. 
you know, and I think that's what Outs of the Wings has given those of us who work with it and have joined. Networks are really important. Belonging to groups of people who are happy to share work, are happy to listen, are generous in the ways that they receive work and engage with people's work is is incredibly important. Uh, you know, sharing translations can feel very vulnerable, can't it? You know, mm. Creating your own communities and seeking out communities where you can work is, is really important. I think that also gives you the beginnings of access to a theatre group. You're not always looking to put your work on and to have your work shared in the big, big theatres. You know, not everything is going to be Royal Shakespeare Company. Very little, very few plays are, <laughs> but they can be, mm. you know, um, and... And that's really um, important to know. But I think what you, what's more important is really to value and honour the, the different smaller spaces that you can create with schools, with community groups, you know, with whoever really wants to experiment. I think obviously there's there's space to just send things off to companies and, and hope for the best. That's my <laughs> dream. As a producer, my yeah. dream is to get that translation of an incredible classic by a woman unsolicited from a translator that says, do you want to do yeah. this? I would be like, yes, we want to do this. Yeah, having the, the boldness to go for that is really important as well. And I think you get that courage yeah, really out of networks. Mm-hmm. You know, when I think of, of Out of the Wings, I was going to say I don't want to blow my own trumpet, but it's a trumpet blown for all the, for everyone that's part of the the collective. Yes, you yes. know, um, there was a group of, of students who were working with me doing PhDs, etc. Who'd um, come from all sorts of different places and they were working in theatre translation, on translating theatre practice and methodologies, you know. And, and what I wanted to do in the first instance was just get them together to... Uh, to share their work and we started off uh, with them five or six of them plus a couple of other people who were in the theatre translation community uh, meeting to discuss work and to share translations and that was about seven years ago now and we thought what we'll do what I suggested we did was every month meet and read a translation Mm. Very simply. Mm. And we thought the first instance well let's see how this goes for six months because we might not have enough translations to go, you know, and and we're still going. Seven years, every month, reading a new translation. Wow. Every month, we've created a festival, you know, that we do every year of of new translations. You know, if you're not successful getting into the festival, you can still do a table read with us. We went online, and we're still actually online at the moment, so people can still join us. You know, we have a, a really substantial group of people who meet every month to read a play. You know, and those sorts of things, people say, well, how did you do it? And I think the answer is always, it was it was very simple. And I think it is, you know, you just, you sort of trust that there's a group of people who want to do something with you. Mm. But that simple act of meeting once a month is a wonderful moment, you know. And I really believe in the power of just sitting down and reading with people. I love that so much. Please sign me up for your mailing list. <laughs> Uh, yeah oh yeah it would be great it would be great to have you it would be wonderful and other people yeah please do and join it'd be really one of the strange uh silver linings of the pandemic i suppose is just this um accessibility over the internet Mm -hmm. um so pivoting a bit back to anacaro i felt extremely lucky that Catherine shared with me um her in process translation and you know i've read a couple different translations of this play and 
I really loved this one. It really had me laughing and outright <laughs> furious at what they had done to our lead lady. I am, I'm curious what your next steps are in that translation. Um, well, you, I think you did at one point say, would I like to read it with you? So I'd love to read it with yes, you. Yes, let's do it. <laughs> she says cheekily, it would be really lovely to share it. <laughs> As a translation, this goes back a bit to, to your earlier questions. As a translation, you have to give the, the actors the trust that anything that seems completely out of kilter in in a translation, especially in a play like this, is actually what's in the original. Mm. You know, in terms of the encounters and the misencounters and the and the comedy of errors and everybody seemingly talking to each other but actually having separate conversations and uh, how they all blend together um, and how much they could just become dramaturgically completely chaotic that that part of the process is partly about language but it's more about understanding how the language is working mm. and it's more about understanding uh, you know when something's not quite right when the actors can't really get at it when they really can't get at what the language is doing and what action is behind it it's really interesting in a rehearsal room to go back to original and think ah you know sometimes it might be you've missed a line out you know by mistake sometimes <laughs> it might be that you've mistranslated a tense or an indirect pronoun or something you know and all of a sudden you think ah that that's that's it so it could be tiny tiny things um uh and in the first instance of my translations, I always stay very, 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 very close to the text. You know, our students sometimes ask, how far can you go to it from the text? But really, in terms of the syntax, um, the sort of instruction that's built in it. Because I think, because once you've got that rooted, really rooted, you can start to move, the text can start to move and you can start to, to play with it. But if you haven't got that real grounding of the text in the first instance, you start from a disadvantage, I think. It's really important to me to get to that um, point where you're, when you're really trusting that what's on the page is giving the same instruction to the actor as far as you can do as the, as the original did. And I think once you get that, once you get that real foundation, then that frees you up to really play and uh, enjoy the work. I think the thing that's been really interesting and validating to me about a lot of what you've been speaking to, Catherine, is so much of your work and your process feels very familiar and I think feel, will feel very familiar to anyone working in the theatre about how you approach the text and trusting the writers, trusting the other people in the room. You know, Hopefully people will hear this and walk away with a greater understanding of the work you're doing and a greater respect for you as a theatre professional, as a theatre artist and folks like you. Pivoting back to Anakaro, I think it's been really interesting for us. Obviously, we are fans of her. We think her work is excellent. But in doing our initial research into her, is there is like some scholarly criticism of her work and her writing. And I wondered if you had any response to that in terms of why you think that might be, whether it has to do with people, as you say, sort of misunderstanding the syntax or the the way it, that things are initially written in the context they're written in or if there's like some sort of internalized misogyny at play there 
you know, when you read some of the, the critique of her writing you know, over a long period of time, there's, there's a grown a sort of orthodoxy that her plays don't work, or this play, for example, doesn't work. Yeah, almost, it's, it's sort of unplayable. I always think according to what, according to what is it unplayable? According to what are we, are we measuring it? I mean, she's writing obviously in the Commedia tradition of Lope de Vega and, you know, the greats of the, the male greats of the 17th century. And so therefore it's, it's incredibly recognisable. So you get drawn into this incredibly recognisable form, you know, the, the characters, the the language, the setup, the comedy of errors, the questions of honour and all that, and you get drawn into it. It's possible to get lulled into a sense of this is the form, this is what uh, she's uh she's following and then when it deviates or doesn't quite follow the form she just goes haywire with it you know and and i love that actually because i think that's part of what what she's doing you can either read that as somebody not being in command of the form yeah and so therefore somehow failing or else you can read it i i read it as her having fun and actually as part of her intent you know i i read it and i think you know when i was translating it there's this sort of sense of rage you know and and a rage that Leonor carries with her and enacts through language through action through brilliance and in doing that she's sort of um, running rings around all the men around her and manipulating them she's a sort of puppeteer in that sense and also at the same time she sort of keeps pushing it she keeps pushing herself and the play towards a potential tragedy and Anna Caro is really really pushing the form and mm. and the uh, and the action to its in some ways its most ridiculous extreme, but that is the most ridiculous extreme of this form. And Sor Juana does a similar thing, you know, in different ways, but she does a similar thing. You know, the laugh out line for me in this play is um, when all the men come to a conclusion that what they'll have to do is all kill yes, each other. Yes, yes, I know. I know exactly that moment in the play. It's and I thought that is, that is just the best line ever, you know, and I think and it's, and it's powerfully tragic at the moment, you know, and I just think, God, you know, centuries on, you know, we're still in the same place where, you know, what, what's, what's the solution to all of this? Let's kill each other. And you think, and here's Anna Caro just driving this, this language and this action right the way through it. So I think it comes back to, to trust, you know, and I think it comes back to to ways of reading. These plays didn't see outings at that time. They weren't tested in the same way as obviously Lope or Cervantes or Calderón de la Barca, but they're writing in the form and they're really pushing it. And they're pushing mm -hmm. it in terms of meaning, in terms of satire. So you've got to trust the form. It goes back to trust. I think if I hadn't, for myself, for my own process and with all my actions in it, if I hadn't done gone through that process, and I think I would have got lost for a long time in the middle of this play. Um, but I saw what she was doing and I thought, right, I'm just going to stick with her. Mm. And you stick with her and you stick with her and she just gives you these glorious moments. You know, so, so they're glorious moments of comedy. But more than anything, this is a play that is absolutely about female rage. Mm -hmm. you yeah. know? And when I was translating it, there's you know, so much... Well, still so much going on around us. And I just thought, this is the voice that's important here. This is the voice that makes sense. Absolutely. Plus one, cosine. <laughs> <laughs>
Incredible. Well, thank you so much for talking through that. I can't wait to see what the next step of this of this play is. I'm curious if you have anything else that you're working on, anything coming up that you want um, folks out there listening to our podcast to uh, know about. You know, out of the wings, if people want to join, then they can email uh, info at outofthewings.org. And that actually comes to me. Um if, if people just Google Out of the Wings Festival, you'll get all the information there. Um, and uh, and, we'll hope, and we hope to be able to announce what plays we're going to be putting on in our festival in July. Um, so that, that will be five nights of five readings of five new translations from five different countries, um, plus workshops about theatre translation. Um, and... So that's the out, all the out of the wings work. And I just I want to repeat to people, this comes from, you know, beginning by trusting that it's worthwhile sitting down, reading a play once a month, you know, and it's really blossomed from there. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing that. We will be sure to link your work with out of the wings and that email address for folks to sign up to that mailing list down in our show notes when this gets released. Thank you so much, Catherine, for your work, for collaborating with us, for taking the time to talk to us about your work and your collaborations with us and with others. It's been so fascinating. And I hope folks will t walk away from this feeling galvanized to possibly try their hand at translation, to support translators, to valorize you folks in the way that has been long overdue and continue to champion these writers who are already out there just waiting to be uncovered and waiting to be uplifted. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for this opportunity. And it's been really lovely speaking to you. Thank you so much for joining us for this bonus episode of This is a Classic, the Expand the Canon Theater podcast with special, special, special guest, translator, professor, general theater badass, Catherine Boyle. And if you haven't yet listened to our full episode on Ana Caro's play, check it out now wherever you get your podcasts. You can help expand the canon by subscribing to this podcast and leaving us a five-star review. Or you can follow us on Instagram, on Facebook, or lately on TikTok. TikTok. I don't know. That's like a new TikTok song, I guess. Great. All right. Till next time, y'all. Thank you so much. Bye-bye, folks.